You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Hey, man, if you are not awake and if you're not excited after that, like, I, I don't know what, something's wrong with you. Like, for real. <laughs> right? Like, what, what's going on? Are we, are, y'all, are we awake? Are we okay? Like, you should be fired up right now. Like, I'm not talking about just emotional high. Like, that was the gospel truth. If there's something about getting excited about or something to get excited about, that was it. Yeah, can we for a second, I mean, I, I love that we're Southern Baptists, but can we for a second not act like we're Baptists? Like, can we be a little excited? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Man, like, man, God, God is here. He's real. He's risen. Like, we should celebrate. I don't I mean, yeah, we... we <laughs> yeah, okay, it's, it's, it's okay to smile, T- uh, tell your face, tell your body to wake up and praise the Lord. All right, man, we're, we're, we're gonna have fun this morning. Turn to the book of James if you have your Bible, I hope you do, and we're gonna keep in our series the book, man, as you can cl- tell, we're getting closer and closer to uh, the end, and man, I, I love this series. Again, James, and so if you would turn there, I appreciate Austin uh, filling in last Sunday and bringing the thunder as I was in the worship center, and uh, man, love being there, but also miss being with you guys and excited to be back with you today. Book of James, again, just past the book of Hebrews. James uh, was written by the brother of, guess who? Sunday school answer? Jesus, yes, and some scholars kind of debate that. I don't think it's a debate. I, I think certainly it's, it's the brother of Jesus, which can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? Like, uh, talk, I remember um, growing up, there was, me and my sisters were kind of known for being goody-goodies, and there was a man in, our ch- in my church, Buddy Combs, who would say, Brandon, I spanked my kids with you and your sisters. And I'd be like, what do you mean? And, and he said, well, every time they do something wrong, I'd just say, would Brandon or Lauren or Meredith do that? <laughs> like, he would always spank his, spank his kids with us. And can you imagine Jesus being your brother and the things that Mary and Joseph must have said to James? Well, Quite literally, Jesus is perfect. <laughs> like, like, man, that would, that, would be, that would be a tough household to grow up in. I can only imagine. It's interesting, while Jesus was, had his earthly ministry, James did not believe in Jesus. But after the resurrection, James believed in Jesus. It turns out when you see someone crucified, nailed to a cross, impaled with a spear in a grave for three days and then rise from the dead, even if they are your sibling, turns out you start taking them serious, right? Can you imagine like after the resurrection and James sees Jesus and he's like, Jesus, um, brother, Lord, I just wanna apologize for those times I gave you wedgies. (laughs) Like, can you imagine the fear of just realizing like, man, I I was messing with the God of the universe. Like, what was I thinking? Totally turned his life upside down. James actually became kind of the head of the church in Jerusalem, led the church there. And I love this book because it's so practical. It's kind of like the New Testament version of Proverbs in the sense that it's just so practical of what it looks like to live for God, of what it looks like to live for Christ. And and another aspect that is so practical about the book of James is he's very real about the fact that this life can be difficult. Like, 
some of you kind of, and this is, this, it's all good, you do you. Some of you kind of pride yourself on being a realist, right? Um, and you're, gonna, you're just gonna be, I see the smiles of the people that are realist right now because you know that's you, that you just, you just kind of say it for how it is. And that, that was James. So if you've not read the book of James, you should read it. And just as an example, uh, you don't have to turn to all these with me, but in chapter one, right out the gate, after he gives his greetings, James says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials. Like, no one wants to be told that. Hey, you're going through a hard time, you know what? Consider it all joy. Like, leave it to the brother of Jesus to say that, right? Like, and he explains in chapter one why we should consider it joy, but man, what, what a real thing to say that you're, not if, when you face trials, you should consider it joy. Over in, in chapter four, I love it, he says, hey, and it's really verses 13 through 17, he says, hey, you shouldn't brag about or, or or boast about, or even talk about what you're gonna do tomorrow, because you don't know what tomorrow holds. Like, you have no control over. He says, your life is a vapor. It's a mist that just vanishes. You have no control over tomorrow, so don't boast about what you're gonna do tomorrow. James had the gift of encouragement, right? Can you imagine, like, man, we're gonna go on this trip, and he says, now hold on, hold on, like, you hope to go on that trip, but because this life is difficult and you're not in control, you have no idea if you're gonna be able to even go on that trip or, or, or go and get that job. You don't know, so don't brag about tomorrow. And then in, in chapter five, verses one through six, he's really addressing unbelievers and, and particularly a, a group of very rich, oppressive unbelievers, uh, which this is kind of a rare in the New Testament for the author to address people who don't know Christ. But he addresses the fact that there are these rich, oppressive people in the world who like to step on others to make themselves better. And just for clarity's sake, he's not saying like in Rome that the system was broken. He's saying, no, actually, the whole world is broken because of sin. So James wasn't going all social justice warrior on us. He was just saying, the reality is it's a broken, fallen world. And every generation is gonna have people who are rich and oppressive and they step on others to make themselves look better and it's all about them. Don't you just love those people? No, right? No. James says every generation has those kinds of people because it's a broken, fallen world. And again, you're gonna face trials. So then we get to our text for today which is really seven through 11 in chapter five and he's gonna help us see, okay, so we're in this broken tragic world that we face every day, daily realities of a broken world, how should we live in this broken world? Do we, do we just sit back and twiddle our thumbs? Do we, do we just give up and say, oh, it's all hopeless? No, you know that's not the answer. How do we live in this broken world in the, in the meantime? So we're gonna be in five, seven through 11, and you're gonna see he gives us really three things to do to be about as believers, as we face a daily reality of a broken world. So we're gonna first read seven through 11 and then we'll begin to unpack it. He says, therefore, so again, knowing that it's a broken world and we're not indulging ourselves as these rich oppressive people do and just making it all about us, so it's a hard world. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains, you also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. 
Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. All right, first thing that really jumps off the pages here, he doesn't state this as a command, but it just, it's obvious. The first thing he's given us is, is, is the fact that the Lord is going to return and so we need to live in light of that. So you could say it this way, remember what your future holds. Remember what your future holds. Hold. I think that's what he's saying by pointing out that the Lord is coming. His coming is near. He's going to return. He's saying, don't forget that this world is not all there is. The best is yet to come. Amen? This is not it. This broken, messed up world is not all there is. The best is yet to come. His coming is near. How many of us live in frustration and hopelessness because all we see is what's right in front of us. If you live just with the daily reality of, of the pain and sickness and struggle of this life, you're going to live kind of a frustrated, hopeless life. So you say, no, look beyond that to what is to come. And that is that Jesus Christ will come again and his reign will be perfect. So look to that day. You know, it's, it's, it's a fact that as you look to the hope of tomorrow, it gives you hope for today. How many of us, when, when you were a student, or maybe you are a student, think about high school, college especially, and you're in a tough class, let's say it's calculus, or some science class, I don't even know what it's called, I still, no lie, I still every now and then have nightmares about science classes that like, I've forgotten some projects. I was never a science guy. Um, I love talking with students and, and they're in the throes of, of the difficult, and if you're, as adults, senior adults, you still remember this, the throes of the semester and the tests and the, and the papers and, and, the, and the, the projects or the, the labs, and it feels overwhelming. And then every now and then, whether you remember or someone comes and taps you on the shoulder and, re, and reminds you, when you remember that you, you won't, at least you don't have to be, <laughs> you won't be a student forever, that one day, you will stand on that stage and, you will, and they will say, Tony Ward, and you will walk across proudly. You will get that diploma and shake the guy's hand who you've never met, will never see again and tell him thank you. And you walk off that platform. When you think that, you remember that day is coming that your professor, Dr. Rathel, he doesn't own you for the rest of your life. Like, so I, so I can do this homework, right? I, by remembering that what's to come helps you push through today. Sometimes when Lauren and I get to, to counsel, do premarital counseling with couples, it's always interesting. When they first get engaged, man, there's this excitement and this joy. And about two months out from the wedding, every time, it's just so stressful. Planning a wedding is hard. And we're always like, it, it is hard. I mean, you, you, can, you get to choose how hard you make it, right? But like, no one says you have to spend $14,000 or whatever, but um, there's this stress, there's this agony of, of planning the wedding. And I always, I love to let them vent and let them talk and then I always say, hey, you know what? I, I promise you, I, we're gonna get you married. 
Like, even if all your plans, all this stuff goes wrong, we're going to get you married. You're going to get to go on your honeymoon, whatever that looks like. And when you come back, you're still going to be married, Lord willing. <laughs> and, and you know what? When you come back, you won't have to keep planning a wedding. You'll be married, and you actually get to, like, go to stay at the same house together. The couple is always like, we, we're so tired of, like, having to leave each other at night. I'm like, no, like, I get that. But there's coming a day when you won't have to leave each other. And it's always cool to see their expressions of like, you're right. Planning a wedding is not fun, but we're gonna make it. By remembering that the better part is coming, it helps them push through today. I think that's part of what James is giving us here and why he's even talking about the Lord's return amidst all all this practical, not not advice, but like telling us how to practically live out our faith is he say, hey, I know it's tough, but remember the Lord is returning. Keep your eyes on what is to come and that is that Jesus is coming again. Your anxiety is not forever. Amen. Your struggle with that sin is not forever. That, that sickness, the pain of death is not forever. Jesus is coming again. Remember what your future holds, amen? The best is yet to come. Keep your eyes on him. You know, keeping your eyes on, on what's to come, that Jesus is coming again, he's gonna make all things new, there'll be no more pain or sorrow, no more tears. It also helps you be a little more patient with other people. You know, sometimes, sometimes the, oftentimes, the hardest thing about this life is not the, the West Texas wind, which after 11 years, it's like I'm maybe starting to see some bright sides of the wind. I don't know. Am I just telling myself that? I don't know. The hardest part often is people. Now, don't look at that person. Don't look down the row. It's often people. Look at verse nine. I think that's why he says this. We're gonna see the second thing he gives us as we face this broken world. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. So here's the second thing he gives us. And here it is. I didn't write it real fancy, but it's this. Don't complain about one another. Don't complain about one another. So to to say it positively, be patient with others. Be patient with other people. And he gives some reasons. He says, so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. So when he says the judge stands at the door, it's this picture, this imagery of that Christ the judge is coming again and it's any moment. How many things would you not have done as a kid to your siblings or against your siblings if you knew your mom or dad was knocking at the door, right? All of a sudden you'd shape up real quick, right? Nope, everything's fine. We sure do love each other, right? Like, if they're standing at the door knocking, you, you straighten up. That's the idea here. Jesus is coming any minute. And he says, don't complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Somewhere in the church, we, I think we've gotten a little confused. So there's no condemnation in Christ. This, this is the gospel. He took all our, our punishment. But we've also, we've, we've forgotten that even as believers, so while that's true, there's no condemnation in Christ, no buts about it, we've forgotten that we are going to give an account for our lives. So he says, don't complain, don't grumble against one another is what the ESV says, grumble against each other, don't do that. Because you're gonna stand before the judge and give an account for your life. 
Think about that. You will stand before the God of the universe and give an account for the things you say about other people. It's kind of sobering. I love that he says, do not complain about one another. I drew a little square, a little circle around about. To is always better than about. Talking to someone about the issue is always better than talking to someone else about that person who you just want to complain about and grumble against, right? Or as the ESV says, talking with someone is always better than grumbling against someone. To and with are always better than about or against. Now, we, we, could, just, we could just camp out right here, y'all. Couldn't we? Yeah. I mean, this is not like, amen, you're right. Like, this is like, oh. What is it? My, my Pastor Tim Patterson, the pastor I grew up under, used to always say, amen or oh me. <laughs> this, is, this is an oh me, right? This is like when you, you, call, you call your boss and you say, hey, David, Ryan's being a real jerk again. And then you realize you're on speakerphone and Ryan says, hey, Michael. And you say, what's up, Ryan? What's up, my brother? <laughs> like, <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever sent a text about somebody, against somebody? And before you send it, you double check to make sure that you didn't actually accidentally send it to them? Everybody's smiling because you're like, yeah. <laughs> hey, if you have to check it, you probably shouldn't send it, right? Uh, this is silly, I know, but you can, like, this is helpful for me, the Band-Aid and the burn. What do I mean by that? Sometimes you, you, you get burned by people, right? They, they hurt you, you hurt them, one or the other and it feels like a burn. And often what needs to happen is for you just to, to get a Band-Aid, a metaphor here, right? not, not literally. <laughs> you take the Band-Aid and you go and you have a conversation with them. You talk to them is what you should do. And oftentimes it's small, it's not a big deal. Like a, a Band-Aid would take care of it, right? Like just a little quick little Band-Aid. And often hurting people hurt people so sometimes the person who they hurt you often they might need the band-aid y'all tracking with that or sometimes maybe you start talking to them and you realize you were just insecure about something and so actually maybe you need to apply the band-aid to yourself because you're like oh that was just me (laughs) but what we often do even as Christians what we most often do that we shouldn't is rather than taking them a band-aid or or going and applying the band-aid to ourselves when we talk with them we often Instead of doing the band-aid, we do more burning by going and talking to other people. And what we do is we start all these other fires. All this other drama. So James says, don't complain about one another. What in the world does that have to do with with end times and the Lord coming back, his nearness, his return? Is that just random? No, I don't think so. One, he's saying, get your act together. You don't have to give an account to God for the fact that you were running your mouth about all these other people. But two, you know, how negative and hateful is our society today. It is attractive to a lost world when, can be, when believers can come together and actually talk through issues and talk with each other rather than talk about each other, amen? 
That's attractive to, to a broken, dying, lost world when they see, man, there's a better way to do community. So rather than going and starting these other fires and having these, all these other conversations and really burning other people, just go and talk with the person. And I, I, I hate this, but I love it. I, there's been a couple of times where in, either in my role like, uh, at work here or just as a believer, I felt, I heard several fires happening and I'll, I'll realize where the fires are coming from. So I realized the person that's kind of starting all these fires about somebody else. And so I'll go to the person that's starting all the fires and I'll say, hey, these three people or whoever have, have come to me and said that you've expressed frustration with whoever over here. And, and can help me, because I think you guys need to talk and, and I'm, I'm their leader, I'm their boss, so like I, I'm talking with you and we're gonna make this right. And almost every time, again, this, it's not just work, sometimes it just happens in life, almost every time the person says, oh, well, I, I, I didn't wanna start anything. I, I don't like drama. <laughs> you don't like drama? That's all you're doing is causing drama, right? Oh, I didn't wanna start anything. Oh, so, no, so instead you started five other fires rather than just talking with the one person and putting water on the fire so it goes out. Yo, when we do that, it's not that we're being spiritual, don't like drama, no, we're being cowards. Don't complain about the person, go and talk with them, go and talk to them, put the fire out so that you don't have to stand before God and give an account while you were running your mouth about other people and also because it creates a beautiful community where we share life and it, and it draws lost people in. Don't, don't hear me wrong. Those, convers- those band-aid conversations, that's healthy conflict. So it's going to feel like, oh man, I'm, uh, this is hard, it's difficult, I don't like conflict. All of us, we all talk about we want peace and harmony. Peace and harmony re- requires some good conflict. Y'all with me? I, I could, sorry, Lauren gets picked on a lot, it's just easy target and she, she knows my heart. Like, let's say we have a little spat at the house if we just ignore, if I just ignore that I said something I shouldn't or she said something that hurt me, if we just ignore it, it just creates more distance and drama. Oh, I don't like conflict. Do I want harmony? Then I need to go talk to her. I don't need to go talk to other people about it. Don't complain about one another. To and with is always better than about or against. How different would our church look? How different would our community look if we embrace this simple truth? It says, it's a broken world. You're gonna face trials. Number one, remember what your future holds. Christ is coming again. Number two, don't complain about one another. And there's one that you're wondering why maybe I haven't said it yet because it's very obvious. I wanna read the text one more time and lean into what I think he's, his biggest point is in this passage. Verse seven. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, don't complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering 
and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Here's the third thing I think James has given us, really simple. So we face the reality of this broken life. It is serve the king with patience. Serve the king, Jesus, with patience, with endurance. It kind of goes back to what we talked about two weeks ago in Hebrews of, 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 of having faith and clinging to Christ. Serve the king with patience. He gives some examples here. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. I was talking with a farmer buddy the other day and he said, yeah, he had a great statement. Farming may be one of the most faith-based jobs there is. It may be a job that requires more faith than anything because you can go and do the work, but if the rain don't come, you don't have any crop. So the farmer works today trusting for what will come tomorrow. But he says, James says, that's what your, your life should be like as a follower of Christ. That you can't, you can't see the Lord's return yet, you're not in heaven yet, but you work today trusting, patiently waiting, trusting for what will come tomorrow. Not literally tomorrow, but tomorrow. That it's gonna come again. Patiently waiting. I, I love something about it too. When I was talking with my, my farmer buddy, I was just, it was Carrie, so I'm not making this all weird. It's my buddy Carrie, my neighbor Carrie. <laughs> Me and all like that uh, general up here. And Carrie and I were laughing about how that, if, if you misread this passage, or if you don't, and I don't know much about farming, so I was calling Carrie, you, you might think that like the farmer just does some work and then he's just at home waiting for the rain to come. No, farmers aren't, they don't just plant and then just sit around and watch TV for like, you know, days of our lives for weeks on end. <laughs> no, farming is hard work day in, day out. So their patience doesn't mean this passive like, oh, we'll see what happens. No, they're actively doing what they should be doing so that when the rain does come, they're ready. Is that fair to say, Carrie, am I doing okay? All right. <laughs> As believers... There's the same theme there. It's not like, well, what are you doing today? <sighs> Quit my job and just watching some TV, waiting on the Lord to come. Like, no, we're, we're busy doing what God has given us to do, knowing he will come. We wanna be ready when he comes back. And to tie that idea with, with the, what he says in verse 10, I think it's about speaking the Lord's name. Verse 10, he says, hang with me. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. So he gave us, gave us a, the illustration, example of a farmer. Now he uses the prophets and he's saying, they also patiently endured waiting for what God had for them, but they weren't just sitting around. They were, they were busy speaking the Lord's name. While we are not prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Daniel, we are called to speak the Lord's name. Do you remember our challenge for September? September 26th, it's almost over, to have one gospel conversation. Really, it's for every month this year to have a gospel conversation where you invite someone to consider finding their greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. The way that we patiently wait the Lord's return is to talk to other people about Jesus. I wanna give you that quick reminder. Have you done that yet? Y'all can be as simple just 
carve a little space here. It can be as simple as you're picking up your groceries at United and you meet the girl like I did yesterday, her name was uh, Caroline. And I said, hey Caroline, I don't know if you know this, you, maybe you're aware of this, maybe you're not, but I want you to know that Jesus loves you so much that he died for you and wants to have a relationship with you. Have, do you know that? Have you ever considered that before? We had a quick conversation, she ended up being a Christian. But it can be as simple as that. And you know what's like kind of funny? I was kind of nervous about it. Like, as, she, as I saw her come out the door with the, my groceries, I was like, it's go time, right? <laughs> that nervousness doesn't mean I shouldn't do it. You know, part of me being faithful, patiently serving the king is talking about him, sharing him. And he says, man, the prophets, they're an example for you. They did that. Think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was mocked. He was putting in stocks. He was stone, uh, hit with rocks. He was thrown in prison, but he kept talking about God. Isaiah, Jewish tradition says that Isaiah was sawed, sawn, how do you say that? Sawed, S-A-W-E-D, you know what I mean. Sawed in two. That's some faithful endurance in hard times. Daniel was thrown in a lion's den. Continue to follow God. Elijah faced depression and, be, and being alone. He continued to follow God. So James says, look to them as an example. Verse 11 says, see we count as blessed those who have endured. He's not saying that we look at hard times and we go, man, I love to go through hard times. He's saying we look at those who have endured, who have faithfully served the king with patience and we always go, man, like that's, that's what I wanna do. You will never regret patiently serving the king. Even on this earth, you will never look back at a, a hard time that you kept walking with Jesus and kept serving him. You'll never look back when you come through that valley and go, man, I wish I would have strayed a little more. No, you, you'll never reg regret endurance. You've heard of Job's endurance. And I gives us another example. And have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about for him. Job lost everything, didn't he? He got sick. Did he still while he struggled and he had questions, did he still hold on to his faith? Yes. He had some hard times. He had, had some real questions for God. Where are you at? Why aren't you listening to me? Wish I'd never been born. But at the end of the day, he still clung to God. And it says, if you read the end of the book of Job, he basically received back double fold what he originally had. So quick time out. Is James saying, guys, if you just endure, you patiently serve the king, you'll be rich and blessed and highly favored in this life. And you know what? By the time you're 70, you'll have double what you had at 35. Is that what he's saying? If I ever tell you that from this platform, y'all just, just take me off, punch me or something, okay? That's a bunch of baloney. No, it may not be until heaven, again, context, is the Lord's return and may not be until heaven. Probably won't be until heaven, actually. But he's saying, at the end of the day, for us, when we are in eternity with Jesus, our suffering on this earth will seem so insignificant, insignificant compared to the glory of being in the presence of God. Serve the king with patience. I, I wanna real quick, as we're, we're getting close, I promise, where he says, in verse eight, strengthen your hearts. And the ESV says, establish your hearts. I, I love that phrase. Think kind of moving towards some application here. 
Serve the king with patience, strengthen your heart. He's not, this is not a pep talk. This is not like, come on boys, come on girls, you can do it, let's go, strengthen your heart. No, there's a, there's a more clear picture here of, of fortifying your heart. Your heart is not just your emotion. We tend to think emotion for in uh, cardia in Greek is really the center of who you are. So your thoughts, your emotions, yes, and your volition. So your, your desires, what you do, that, that's really your heart. So the center of who you are, strengthen that, establish that, establish that, fortify your hearts is what he's saying. So we wanna serve the king with patience. We need to do that. It requires you to fortify your heart, to, to strengthen it. I think about strengthening something, making it strong. Your house, whether you know it or not, has studs in it. And no, I'm not talking about your dad who's a stud. I'm talking about in the walls, there are studs, right? It's good information if you didn't know this, right? I don't know much about home building, but I do know that. Studs are, while the foundation is incredibly important, that's the most important thing about your house, studs are really important for your house too to make it strong. If you skimp on studs, you're like, you know what? We're gonna save some money. Put those studs every 10 feet. No one sees them anyway. It's like, when the spring winds in West Texas come, you may be looking for a place to stay, right? Because it's not strong enough. You're, you're, you even say, well, no, no one can see them. It doesn't matter. And, and it looks good from the outside. And so you skimp on studs, you're gonna have a problem when hard times come. The way you strengthen the house is to put them appropriately where they should be in the walls. I know Jesus sees into your heart, so he didn't need a stud finder. You know what a stud finder is? A little thing you put on the wall and beep, and you find the stud, right? Hadn't, my little boy, Thinks the stud, the stud finder we have at the house is a toy, so always carries it with him. I was like, Haddon, you didn't find the stud finder. The stud finder found you, man. Like, anyways. <laughs> if Jesus were to take the little stud finder and run it across your heart, would he find that you've been skimping on studs? Meaning that you've said, well, you know what, like, Reading my Bible doesn't really see, like no, no one sees if I do that or not. Like that's not important, so I'm just not gonna read my Bible. So you, you skip that stud. You know what, talking with Jesus, like, yeah, I'll pray when I'm in Sunday school, I'll pray at our home group, but man, talking, talking with God, that, that, that's, that's kind of a private thing. No one sees that, I'm not gonna worry about that. So you skip on that stud. Man, going to church, as long as I'm just there occasionally, like it'll be fine, like that's not that important. So, so you kind of, you make stud kind of a, or you, you put a, uh, you put a warp stud in for church because you're like, yeah, it's not that important. And then you wonder why when the winds of life blow through your house, you fall apart. Your foundation is still there. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. You're still founded in Christ, but your, your life is always being wrecked and, and knocked over because you haven't put, you haven't fortified your heart with the right things. Y'all, I'm making sense, you with me? How many of us complain about Man, life is hard and I just feel distant from God and you haven't fortified your heart with the things God has given you to strengthen your heart. I have never had a conversation in 20, or no, it's not 20, 15 years of ministry. I've never had a conversation where someone said they were struggling uh, with sin or they felt distant from God. Um, I've never had a conversation where they were really in, in a tough spot and I said, hey, tell me how your time with God is going. They've never said it's going really well. Now, I think, it, I think 
your time with God can be going well and you experience those hard times. But it, it, it's always amazing to me how people who, their, their lives are falling apart, their spiritual house, so to speak, is falling down and they've not put any studs in their life. Strengthen your hearts. Serve, how are you gonna serve the king with patience? You must strengthen your hearts with the things God has given you. You may still say, yeah, but man, this, this world is just, it's just tough. Like, is Jesus, is it worth serving him when, when this life is just hard? Like, uh, delayed gratification is a hard thing. And you, so you say, I, I just don't know if I can do it. I, I love the end of verse 11. It says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It seems like an odd thing to me. He's talking about being faithful and, and being patient and having endurance. And he doesn't end it, verse 11, with because the Lord is so amazing and glorious and he's, he's so majestic and heaven will be worth it. He says, no, because the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Remember the Lord's compassion and mercy. You know what I think he's saying there? At the end of the day, when we stand before God, when, when Jesus comes back and we spend eternity with him, it's what the old hymn says. When we see Jesus, our lips will still repeat, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. See, this is not about, man, I'm gonna strengthen myself and now I'm gonna serve the king and now, and now I'm awesome and I get to heaven and now I've been patient and now I've endured. No, even that day when we stand before the king we've, and we have patiently endured, the Christian, all of us, will still be compelled to say, it's all because of Jesus. I don't deserve heaven, I deserve hell, but Jesus has been merciful and compassionate to me, amen? Here's, I think, the big idea of this text. He has served me perfectly, I can serve him patiently. He left heaven's stone and died the death that I deserve on a cross. He has served me perfectly, I can serve him patiently. And you know what, as hard as this life is, I don't think I can do it. If I try to get one speck on here of sand, I, try to, I think I've got still about 10 on there that you cannot see from where you're at. If this whole room was filled with this sand and that represented eternity and the seven or eight pieces, particles of sand on my finger represented this life, it still wouldn't be a good comparison. This life is small and short and insignificant in comparison with eternity. James is reminding us, be patient. Wait until the, Lord's come, the Lord comes like the farmer because whatever hardship you face in this life is nothing compared with the glory of heaven. And I love the Psalms that say, at the right hand of the Father, which is Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, are pleasures forevermore, joy forevermore. So this, or this whole room, you could say, but at least this, if this represents the unending joy to be had in heaven as we are with Jesus forever, and this little bitty sand represents the hardships of this life, again, it pales in comparison. It's, it's insignificant, inconsequential compared to the glory of heaven. So serve the king with patience. He has served you perfectly. He will serve you perfectly so you can serve him with patience. I'm gonna ask our worship team to come up. And I think, 
couple responses really quick that maybe God leads you to this morning. One maybe is just to, to ask God that he would give you endurance and patience. Undoubtedly, there are people in this room who, who, who you're kind of up against the wall in your faith and you're, you're wanting to give up and you're struggling and you're feeling hopeless. What a great opportunity to, to ask Jesus to give you patience and endurance. Others of you, while it wasn't, I think, the, the, the main thrust of the text, others of you maybe need to consider someone that you've been talking about and ask God to give you uh, courage to go and talk to them and with them and repent for creating a culture that is always creating little fires of drama rather than just talking to the person that you have an issue with. And some of you, maybe you don't know Christ, and as we've been walking through this text this morning, God has created an awareness in your heart and life that he is coming back and you will stand before him as the judge of the earth. And this morning, God has reminded you, or maybe revealed to you that you can stand before him uncondemned, forgiven, loved and experienced grace and mercy. If you will simply, like the verse David read earlier, turn from, your, turn from your sin, turn to Jesus. Believe in him and confess him as your Lord. You will be saved. There's gonna be some people down front in just a minute that would love to talk with you or pray with you about anything God's doing in your life. You just come grab them by the hand or you don't have to grab their hand. Just come up and say, hey, can I talk to you? Can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? They would love to do that. Let me pray for us and then we're gonna respond as God leads us. <clears throat> God, we're grateful for your compassion and your mercy that we just read about. God, may we remember what our future holds. Would you encourage us today that the pain of this life is not forever? God, would you help us to not complain about one another, but rather to, to encourage one another, to talk with one another? And Lord, would you give us the ability to serve you with patience. God, whatever you're doing right now, would you speak to us and give us boldness to respond? It's your name, Jesus, that we pray, amen. Y'all stand and sing with us. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.